Hello, welcome to Unboss. It's Adrian Lawrence filling in for Nina Turner once again. And this is Unboss, you know it. And you also know that you need to subscribe. That's right. Also, share the stream, send some love in the comments, because we got some crazy stories for you today. And I'm going to give my best in discussing them. And also, I'm going to give the mic occasionally to one Jessica Burbank. What's up, Jay? It's always good to be on with you. It's good to be holding down on boss for Senator Turner. It's in good hands with us. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel. And I know that there are some individuals who things are not in good hands with, and it would generally be the GOP as it concerns abortion. Yeah, the growing unchecked power of state legislature, it is making big moves today, particularly on that issue of the healthcare service that is abortion. Peep these headlines here. Yeah, first starting out with Republicans in North Carolina. They used their supermajority to uphold a 12 week ban overruling the Democratic governor's attempt to stop the bill and preserve wider abortion access. And of course, well, we'll go to the other Carolina and it appears that neither of them are gonna be safe havens as the Southern state is now contemplating a near all out ban after six weeks. And over in Nebraska, which I could not find on a map, but whatever. Well, the GOP supermajority, well, they snuck in a 12 week abortion ban into a bill that would ban gender affirming health care for minors. Yeah, snuck it right on in there. And that bill goes through its final round on Thursday. So by the end of the week, we could have yet another GOP run supermajority legislature state really curbing the right to abortion. Right now, we have a total of 19 states with a veto proof GOP supermajority. And these regressive consequences, they are real, particularly as it concerns accessing abortion care. And also access issues are coming to a head at the federal level, peep this headline. Yeah, a three judge panel of conservatives on the Fifth Circuit, they're hearing right now the challenge to accessing Mifepristone today. And they're gonna be deciding whether the abortion pill that's been safely used for more than 20 years or so, so should be banned all of a sudden. It really just shows you that the GOP infiltrating state legislatures and also infiltrating the courts is really going to end up being the downfall for a lot of democracy and any progressive movements that we had instituted over time. And it's incredibly, incredibly disheartening, especially what we're seeing with the gutting of any kind of abortion access right now, Jessica. It's just an absolute nightmare, Adrian. Things just keep getting worse on this issue. It's insane when you live in a country where the majority of people believe we should have access to this care. And when you live in a state where the majority of people believe we should have access to this care. And then you have a legislator that's elected officials that have been elected through a process that is so far from perfect. I would say it's dysfunctional and it's undemocratic to have districts that are gerrymandered so severely that the legislator in a state is not at all representative of the political beliefs of the people they're supposed to be representing. And that's really what's going on in North Carolina. It's happening in South Carolina, all across the country. There are some states like Kentucky where they decided to have a referendum vote on whether or not they should make access to abortion more strict. And I went to Kentucky and I talked to a bunch of people there about how they felt about the issue. A lot of people said, you know, I'm pro-life, but I believe there are cases where people should have access to an abortion. And putting it in the hands of the people to make that decision, I think was a really good move. When it comes to strengthening trust in government, having a functioning democracy. And people said, no, we don't want to ban all abortions in the state of Kentucky. And so that's the kind of, of 
democracy we need. We don't need legislators that are so far from representative of the public making decisions that are the opposite of what the public wants. And then in many cases, it's it's simply a judge making a decision, just one or a few people for, for thousands and millions of people they're making decisions. And so this is only getting worse. I don't think this should be a conversation that's just about how do you feel about the issue of abortion? It should be, how do you feel about the state of our democracy? Absolutely. It's in turmoil. Yeah, because it really sounds like from what you're describing that you want an actual democracy, which would be kind of cool, especially since we're supposed <laughs> to be a democracy. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how that works. But of course, there are questions now on whether there should be a federal ban on abortion. And this is coming up again now with this infighting in the GOP front runners for the presidential ticket for 2024. Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, yeah, that's right. After the former president had called DeSantis's new six week abortion ban in Florida too harsh? Well, the governor struck back with this. Protecting an unborn child when there's a detectable heartbeat is something that almost probably 99% of pro-lifers support. It's something that other states like Iowa under Governor Kim Reynolds have enacted. And I think that as a Florida resident, you know, he didn't give an answer about would you have signed the heartbeat bill that Florida did. That had all the exceptions that people talked about, the legislature put it in. I signed the bill, I was proud to do it. He won't answer whether he would sign it or not. Yeah, so DeSantis, of course, against the ropes that Trump pushed him on. Well, he decided to go ahead and hit back with that. But of course, then Trump, of course, you know, he will never be outdone. He took to Newsmax to boast about his seriousness on abortion. Do you think that six weeks is is going too far? Is that going to doom Republicans with the moderates in this country when it comes to 2024? Rob, first of all, I'm the one that got rid of Roe v. Wade. And everybody said that was an impossible thing to do. I put on three Supreme Court justices. Very few people have had that privilege or honor. And they are terrific people, and they happen to believe that Roe v. Wade should not be there. It's been now brought back to the states. And what I've done is I've given the pro-life people who are wonderful people and loving people, I've given them the power of negotiation because now they're able to negotiate something that's going to be very important. Yes, as we know, Trump with all of his omnipotent power, you know, being the one to unravel Roe v. Wade and then now giving it to the people to negotiate, which I'm sure what he has all the keys to negotiation. Anyway, although Trump definitely seemed to be pretty forceful about his impact on reversing abortion, just last week at CNN's town hall, it seems the former president was setting a different tone, likely in light of the fact that he knows that most people in the United States, about 61%, say that abortion should be legal in some regard. Would you sign a federal abortion ban into law? I, what I'll do is negotiate so that people are happy. Just to be clear, Mr. President, you, you would sign a federal abortion well, ban I, into I law. I said this, I said this, I wanna do what's right. And we're looking. But to I think do this that. is a really important question for you to answer because this is something all, every Republican, including those who are running against you for the nomination, are being asked about is would you sign a federal well, abortion ban into yeah. law? And many of them are going to give you the same answer as I. Uh, I am, first of all, I am honored to have done what I did. If they send it to your desk, would you sign it? Some people are at six weeks, some people are at three where, weeks, where two President weeks. President Trump? Uh, President Trump is going to make a determination what he thinks is great for the country and what's fair for the country. I just want to give you one more chance, though, because you did not answer whether or not you'd sign a federal abortion ban 
or how many weeks into pregnancy you believe abortion should be banned? Yeah, but I'm Can you answer a, either I'm of those I've given you the answer probably four times already. Which one I'm is looking, it, I'm you looking at a solution that's going to work. Very complex issue for the country. Yeah, that man was not going to answer the question clearly. He doesn't want to have to commit to any kind of ban because of course he knows the numbers aren't in his favor. And so of course it makes you question whether DeSantis's new ban is too bold for some other Republicans. We know that in Florida specifically, there was a recent poll that was conducted by the University of North Florida that showed that a majority of Floridians, the Republican kind, well, they oppose banning abortion at six weeks with no exception for rape or incest. So DeSantis's policies may be growing less popular there in the Sunshine State, especially now that he got some bad news today in terms of the two people he was backing for office. They pulled an L, they did not win. That's right, and check out this headline here. So the Democrats just flipped Jacksonville, Florida in last night's mayoral race. That's right, Jacksonville is not just the biggest GOP controlled city in Florida, but it's also in the heart of DeSantis country. This really says that, hey, maybe these moves that he's making aren't necessarily something that will keep him in power or at least put him at 1600 pen. What do you think, Jessica? Yeah, I think we're we're beginning to see some fracturing in the Republican Party, especially in Florida, right? We expected DeSantis to hold support in Florida. It's becoming increasingly conservative. This upset is pretty telling. For DeSantis to believe that we can make America Florida, which is basically what he's running on, saying, you know, I did this here in Florida. When is when did Trump do that nationally? He didn't have the chance to. The way they're trying to draw distinctions with each other with really unpopular policies is just like not good for the Republicans as a whole. But when it comes to a decision between DeSantis and Trump, it immediately becomes kind of interesting, right? Because you have DeSantis signing the the heartbeat bill SB 300 in Florida back in April, and then. Trump taking credit, well, it was me who overturned Roe versus Wade. It's just ridiculous. My buddy Troy Bond, who's a comedian, said that watching DeSantis and Trump run against each other is like watching a Michael Jackson impersonator have a dance off with Michael Jackson himself. The way they're trying to draw distinctions is just really ridiculous. I would rather Trump say, this is what I believe in, this is my policy, instead of dodging questions and only running against making nicknames for his opponent. We really need more substantive politics than this. Yeah, we definitely need more substantive politics as well as in Washington, where the debt ceiling debate is raging on between the Biden administration and the House GOP. And one of the big holdups is work requirements. Watch. I'm not going to accept any work requirements that's going to impact on medical health needs of people. I'm not going to accept any work requirements that go much beyond what is already. Well, I voted years ago for the work requirements that exist. But it's possible there could be a few other, but not anything of any consequence. Anything that has consequence. This is a senator who voted for work requirements. I think when you're sitting in the room and you're listening to the American public, why wouldn't he want to help people get out of poverty? If he doesn't want to have something that has consequences, he wants to borrow more money from China to pay an able-bodied person who has no dependents, not even to look for a job, not even go to school for 20 hours. Oh, it's so interesting what House Speaker Kevin McCarthy sees in the American people because it doesn't seem to be one rooted in fact. Anyway, that was McCarthy and Biden this morning showing us that they're still very far apart on the work requirements proposed by the GOP. But with less than two weeks before a deal has to be done, the national debt default is looming. Check this. We're gonna come together 
because there's no alternative we have to do the right thing for the country. We have to move on. And uh, to be clear, this negotiation is about the outlines of what the budget will look like, not about whether or not we're going to, in fact, pay our debts. The leaders have all agreed we will not default. Every leader has said that. All right, all right, so Biden says they're not gonna default. Also, McCarthy seems pretty confident that his party's demands are gonna be met. But let's kind of look at what those demands are. So we know this from The Guardian. House Republicans are demanding 4.8 trillion in spending cuts, mostly to Democratic priorities, including welfare and environment spending, demonstrating the political vice in which Biden finds himself. Progressives have warned him not to give in. And even if the deal is gonna be reached at the last minute, it might not be clear from there, as far as I'm concerned, to USA today. A deal in the coming days to raise the nation's debt limit won't necessarily sound an all clear signal for the US economy, but an 11th hour agreement that narrowly averts defaults but phrase nerves, sinks stocks and pushes up interest rates could still do some damage as did similar standoffs in 2011, 2013 and even push a frail economy into recession. Yikes, so it sounds like there are a lot of things up in the air, but one thing I can tell you is definite and clear is that McCarthy is not going to consider any tax increases for the wealthy? Are you open to considering a tax increase on the wealthy no. in exchange? No. 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 Did, did you listen? Were you here earlier? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not being I'm not being a jerk. Yeah, is he sure about that? Because it kind of seems like he is, or at least not being a representative of the people as far as I'm concerned, because God forbid people increase taxes on the wealthy. Anyway, at the end of the day, it seems that those who are most affected by any kind of cuts will definitely be the American people, not the wealthy. Check out this headline here. Yeah, three in four Americans worry the defaults could hurt them and their worries are definitely legitimate because we know how the GOP rolls, Jessica. Yeah, this is what I'm thinking about 24 seven is this debt limit fight because it's absurd and unnecessary. And they're essentially using this game of chicken of we're going to default on the debt as a way to cut policies. Like that's their purpose. We've raised the debt limit or the debt ceiling 78 separate times since 1960. This time is no different from the others. In the words of Warren Buffett, if there was a credit rating given to the federal government, it would be 100. It's impossible for the US government to run out of their own money. They make the currency, they can always make good on their obligations. So this idea that the debt is unsustainable and we owe all of this money to China is fear mongering, but it's inaccurate. And it's dangerous for elected officials to just be telling inaccurate information about how our fiscal and monetary policy works in this country. And the cuts being proposed are dangerous and people will starve. People could die because of them, it's that serious. So making it so that food stamps or SNAP benefits are only available to you if you work 20 hours per week is what McCarthy would like to propose. That is an absurd policy when the Federal Reserve's explicit plan is to increase unemployment, to make two additional million people unemployed by the end of the year. That's what their reports show. So you're going to take away people's ability to work to provide for themselves and also take away their ability to eat. That is what the government is doing under McCarthy, that is dangerous. They're not proposing cuts to the $842 billion in the defense spending bill that they just passed. What is the SNAP benefit or food stamp spending annually? 113 billion, so 13% of defense. And they haven't proposed any cuts to defense spending. So when you talk about the budget, you're talking about our moral priorities as a nation. 
You don't get to say, this is what we're going to spend money on. And then McCarthy gets into office and says, actually, we're gonna change all of the priorities that the prior Congress legislated on. You don't get to do that. You don't get to spend money on your credit card, if you wanna use that analogy, and then get the bill and change what you've spent money on. That's the only credit card analogy that fits here, because all the national debt is, is the total dollars put out into the economy. Their red ink is our black ink, as Stephanie Kelton would said, would say, all of the dollars they've put out that they have not taxed back. And so it's absurd that they're using this as a bargaining chip to make life harder for working Americans. That's what's going on. Yeah, the, you know, that's how they like to do business with the GOP. The House always wins. And it seems that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is intent on maintaining that and ensuring that we the people will continue to struggle and struggle and to suffer so that corporatism can continue to reign. Then again, that's kind of the American way, I guess. Well, one thing I am sure of is that we will be back right after this break. We'll see you soon. Welcome back to Embossed, Adrian Lawrence filling in for the great Nina Turner. And we got some great merch for you, I'm, I'm, I'm real here. Uh, Shop2it.com, George Santos, farewell party, new design, bye bye Santos. Yeah, deuces to him and may his probation officer be gentle. Uh, but also definitely check out the progress report. Yeah, I know you know what that is, that's right. You're gonna get the big stories on corporate media is not gonna give you. Yes, check it out, TYT's original reporting, scan the QR code here or go to tyt.com slash newsletter to sign up. And justice is coming, that's right, Justice June approaches. Definitely pre-order, Justice is Coming, now available, tyt.com slash justice. It's Jenk Uber's upcoming book, pre-order it today by scanning the QR code and visiting tyt.com slash justice. Also, have you done your justice here by going ahead and checking out the Unboss podcast? Because you need to, whether it's Spotify, Apple, or all the other podcast resources, check us out. Give us that five-star rating, the love we deserve and the love that you deserve from the tyt.com members. Mongoose says the GOP began all this in the 70s when they encouraged Republicans to run for school boards and city councils, that's right. Getting that local on the ground game has put the Republicans at GOP in the wind. Also, it's kept people real stupid. But as far as Twitch goes, well, Dissident PM says, as always, I love seeing it when you fill in as host or are co-hosting Adrian. Oh my goodness, those meme things, hysterical. We take in a trip to the bank, the Burbank, Jessica. I love it. <laughs> That's so dope. Um, Airship rights says voters need to get off their asses. The GOP wants to rule, not represent, not lead. That's right. LV18 White Girl says, an actual democracy in America, that's an impossibility, isn't it? And start and park racing. How about Congress doesn't get their benefits or compensation unless they actually work 20 hours a week? Hey now. Exactly, like this tells us a lot that they want to in Congress, make sure that they cash in while everybody else suffers. Something else is going on in Congress right now, especially with their personnel, peep this. Just recently, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, we received reports that there is a staff member who's working for a Republican on this committee who has ties with and supports a white nationalist who has proclaimed himself to be just like Hitler. 
Wow, uh, last I checked, that wasn't something we wanted in our government. Uh, but that was Democratic Representative Jasmine Crockett of Texas calling out her colleagues for employing neo-Nazis. And this happened during the GOP's led House Homeland Security Committee yesterday, which was on countering left-wing violence, mind you. Well, what colleague was Crockett talking about? We'll go to the independent. An alleged white nationalist who pledged his loyalty to Nick Fuentes has reportedly been working for US Representative Paul Gosar for nearly two years. Social media accounts, photographs, and posts on far right platforms and other websites uncovered by Talking Points Memo and researchers who study far right movements have connected congressional staffer Wade Searly to accounts belonging to a prominent and prolific Fuentes acolyte. Now, here are the pictures of Wade Searly. Yep, there he is with Representative Gosar and also with Nick Fuentes. And if you're wondering about that loyalty pledge that Searly apparently took, here's the backstory, also per Talking Points memo. On May 6, two high-ranking members of Fuentes' white supremacist, Graper, Movement had defected from his organization and gone on a viral far right streaming show to criticize Fuentes and air their grievances about the group. Fuentes responded five days later on his own stream, America First. After denouncing his enemies, Fuentes raised his right hand and made a demand from his remaining followers. Now it's time to pledge your allegiance to me forever, okay? Raise your right hand, I swear my undying allegiance to Nicholas J. Fuentes and the America First Movement, so help me God. I swear I will defend the white race, my nation America, and my savior Jesus Christ, and my loyalty to the America First Movement. Nicholas J. Fuentes, so help me God. Wow. Okay, that that's I don't know what to say, uh, but I know that critics have called for Gosar to be removed from the Homeland Security Committee, even though he kind of should be removed from Congress. But maybe I'm asking too much. Uh, well, the Independent said this: Kyle Herrig, Executive Director of Activist Watch Group, uh, Watchdog Group, the Congressional Integrity Project, has also called the committee's chair, James Comer, to remove Mr. Gosar and demand that Mr. Gosar fire Mr. Searley. Now, Herrick said this in a statement, the American people deserve better than to have white supremacists running around the halls of Congress as members and staffers. If James Comer had a single ounce of integrity or credibility in his body, he would demand Representative Gosar file, fire his staffer and remove Gosar from his committee. Um, yeah, it's funny because I think we know that white supremacists have been very much the foundation of all major kind of entities throughout our society, whether it's policing. Um, or other sectors of any kind of social responsibility in government. So I, as far as I'm concerned, at least the gentleman is out and proud about it to a certain extent on public forums because it's a lot easier than where they're wearing their clan hoods uh, pretending to be ghosts. So hey, I don't know what to say, but this is exactly par for course uh, in terms of uh, empowering these people who we know are either Nazi sympathizers, Nazi adjacent, or just all out little grand dragons, Jessica. Who ends up hiring people who are white supremacists and Nazis? Probably people who can look past the idea that their staff would be a white supremacist or a Nazi. Either that or you are a white supremacist or a Nazi yourself. It's not that difficult to come to this conclusion. If we know about this and we know about Mr. Seal's views, guarantee the chief of staff at Gosar's office knows about his views. Guaranteed Gosar also knows about 
the views as well. I don't think you end up working in a congressional office for that long without this stuff coming up. You talk about politics on a day to day basis. Yeah, I get he's probably not hired to express his opinion. And I understand that people say diversity of opinion is valuable. I would draw the line at white supremacy and fascism. And I think many people would find that entirely reasonable. And countries like Germany that have learned the hard way of what happens when you have a rise of fascism in a country, now they are very stringent about anyone in a position of power holding white supremacist or fascist views. They will disband entire police forces if they found if they find like they did a group text of folks sympathizing with Hitler. And so the idea that we need to protect freedom of speech or allow people to have their own personal political opinions, fine. They should be far away from any public office in the United States. People who hold these views shouldn't be bureaucrats, they shouldn't work in congressional offices. They should be fired for being Nazis and for some reason people Treat that like it's a hot take. It's really not. No, I would say it's not a hot take either. Like, um, it's kind of like what I would expect you not to be, but it's crazy to me. Like, how did he pass background? That's my question. Like, you have the FBI and the feds investigating you so you can have federal employment, and they're just like, oh, well, hey, here he is at a white sheet sale at Kohl's. I'm sure it's fine. Like, you have all the documentation there possible. So, why are you still allowing this person to have access to our government, especially after that whole January 6th thing? And especially Especially given all that you know about white nationalists and how they are a threat to our country. So I, yeah. I kind of I want to talk to management. What is it like the Office of Administrative Personnel or something like that? They're a problem. And I could tell you who else is a problem. Um, a teacher in Missouri who fortunately now is unemployed. But uh, the problem also is the administration in place because a Missouri high school student has been suspended for filming their teacher using the N word. Watch this. Video shared on social media shows a high school teacher using the N-word at least twice in a Missouri classroom. Mary Walton, a 15-year-old student, disturbed, began filming. I'm not calling anyone. I can say the word. Oh gosh, our education system is really in a place, particularly in the place of Springfield Public School District. There, they ended up suspending Mary Walton for three days for violating the school's phone policy, all because she captured her geometry teacher using the N word several times in class. And I'm sure she wasn't just recording him for fun, but knew that he was going to be dropping the hard R. Now, once that video went viral, well, the unidentified teacher, because of course we have to protect his identity, well, he was put on leave and the principal sent a letter to families addressing the incident. You can see in this letter here, yeah, calling it inappropriate and inexcusable for the for the teacher to be using that language. Now, while Walton was suspended, while well, the teacher's fate has emerged, and the school stated this yesterday. The teacher who was initially placed on administrative leave following the situation at Glendale High School is no longer employed by Springfield Public Schools. We received a resignation from that teacher. That's very nice that they allowed him to go ahead and resign. You know, I recognize there could have been the possibility that he is part of a union, and so firing him without going through the process could have been a problem, so I'll leave that there. But still, the fact that the school went ahead then and doubled down on its position in terms of suspending Walton from school, yeah, that's kind of wild. They claim that she violated the school's phone policy, which is this 
in particular. The student handbook specifies that those who inappropriately use an electronic device like a phone in class for recording or publishing images of staff, faculty or other students can be, can be subject to up to three days of out of school suspension for a first offense. That is incredibly wild, can be. That says that there is considerable discretion among those in positions of power. And instead of applauding this girl for capturing a teacher providing an entirely wild hostile education environment there, they instead punish her by sending her up to home for three days. I'm just. This is very difficult for me to process, but I know that Walton and her mother have processed it because they appeared on CNN defending her usage of that cell phone. Sometimes you need to break the rules for what's right. And this rule does not have an, well, one, it's inappropriate use is their rule. But this would absolutely be appropriate use for a video. When there is misconduct or illegal activity occurring, uh, indisputable, irrefutable evidence is absolutely beneficial in situations like like this. Um, we have a room full of, of teenagers, and if they had gone to the administration with only their word, who knows exactly how long an investigation would have taken, who knows if they would have been believed, but being able to provide documented evidence such as this is absolutely essential for situations this or worse. Mary just took all the words out of my mouth. I cannot believe her. She's supposed to be a sophomore. Number one, how eloquent was she? And on top of that, I swear that woman probably, she must have a mortgage, a car and a few kids because she is mature beyond her years. Extraordinarily wise because she's absolutely right. The fact is that why punish her for exposing something that is incredibly inappropriate? Why? The thing is, is that the message that these principals really want to send is that we're not interested in you actually providing documentation of the misconduct of the adults around here. We're interested in your silence. And that's exactly what this is gonna do. It's gonna chill other students who are otherwise going to capture the misconduct engaged in by the adults around them. I am a huge proponent of high schoolers carrying phones for this very reason. Because the adults around them need to be held accountable. Because otherwise they go on power trips and they engage in this berating behavior that they have gotten away with for years. Jessica. Yeah, the teacher didn't say the N word once, but twice and it's recorded, okay. So a teacher uses a racial slur in a classroom. The kid records it on his cell phone. Who is in trouble in this situation in Missouri? It's the kid who recorded it. And I can understand that teachers have unions and there's a process for firing. There should be a zero tolerance policy for racial slurs. Deal with the union afterwards, fire the teacher before they have a chance to resign and only resign after the video is is released and there's some backlash for it. Clearly, it's obvious that the teacher was the one in the wrong here. And what are we teaching kids? By allowing the student to be suspended, we're teaching kids, okay, that if you hold authority accountable, there's consequences. It's literally conditioning kids to grow up in a corrupt society and not try and hold people in power accountable. Kids are very impressionable. And when you have this in your schools, you're really conditioning people to be subservient citizens. We have a corruption problem in the United States of America. And we teach kids from a, from a very young age to not question authority when authority is very obviously in the wrong. 
That's absurd. We've got to change that. Uh, that has to be changed in our schools. And they have a chance to do something right. They could say, you know what, we had this wrong. We have a zero tolerance policy for this, but it's Missouri, and I don't expect that to happen. <laughs> no, I don't expect that either. And you know, the fact is that again, you have children able to document this misconduct. If you truly care about these children, you care about their education, you care about their safety, then you should be happy that the student did that to have that evidence. So you could terminate this person for cause without question. And instead to decide to punish her, it really just speaks to the fact that our system, as you noted, Jessica, is structured such that the punishment and penalty is upon the one who exposes the problem. And we see that in work environments to this very day, where we see people who stand up to the abusers, stand up to the misconduct are the ones who end up suffering as whistleblowers. And like you said, the goal here is to ensure that these young people not only remain uneducated by not being able to learn in these environments, but also remain subservient. And I am so incredibly proud that Mary Walton was not down with it. And she did push back. She definitely deserves an award without a doubt. But we will definitely have more for you. And we are gonna have an award for someone when you get back. His name is George Santos, that's a hint. Welcome back to Indisputable. It is Adrian Lawrence filling in for the great Nina Turner. And we've got some great comments from y'all. Yeah, that's right. So TYT members, Mickey C the Silver Haired Dragon says, let the Republicans take responsibility for defaulting and the Dems need to announce that all day, every day. We had a debt of hundreds of years and the Republicans had no problem approving Trump's increase by 25%. Hundreds of years of debt and Repubs let Trump increase it by 25% in just one year. Yep, we know how Trump likes to spend. ER Phil said, wait, six week heartbeat bills, lies about defaulting. Are you telling me that Republicans are wildly spreading misinformation to manipulate people and get what they want? <gasps> Jenny V, so they would have believed her if she just told them the teacher did this without actual evidence. Yeah, exactly. They have just, they're just mad that she had this video to prove the claim. You're damn right, exactly. And the thing is, is that students wouldn't have to go to the internet to go viral if you took them seriously the first time when they said that someone in a position of power was abusing that power. But that's a you issue as far as I'm concerned at the administration. As far as Twitch goes, well, I am a sock says, still really weird that Nuquentes lives in his parents' house about three minutes from where I live. Yeah, that is like super weird. Um, Dissident PM says, my savior, the whitest of all white Jesuses and his his avatar on earth, orange Jesus. Yep, good old Fuentes. Dr. Hayes, white supremacist, hire white supremacist. That would be it. Washington football commie says, being a Nazi wasn't the bug, it was the future. Yeah, exactly. Vanessa Maldonado from YouTube says, being part of the legal system requires you to treat everyone equally under the law. Why is it not universally known fact that you can't be a bigot and do your job as required? Interesting, there are a lot of people who take issue with what the legal system and in wake of his 13 felonies, well, Congressman George Santos is one of them. It is with great dismay but complete confidence that I say that the weaponization of the United States prosecutorial system is spinning further out of control and it is time we take a stand. It shows when we have a national crime crisis failing by the wayside because political motivated campaigns designed for nothing other than retribution on political agitators keep getting in the way of our leading law enforcement officials who refuse to prioritize the American people. 
That man is audacious, I will tell you, yes. Uh, since pleading not guilty last week, George Santos has refused to resign. Of course, he's not giving up those benefits as a member of Congress. No, 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 no. Uh, so of course, his fellow members of Congress, well, they're gonna help him out in that regard. Check this out. I rise to give notice of my intent to raise a question of the privileges of the House. The form of the resolution is as follows, House Resolution 114, resolve that pursuant to Article 1, Section 5, Clause 2 of the Constitution of the United States, Representative George Santos be, and he hereby is, expelled from the House of Representatives. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mm, I really like that very much so. That was freshman Congressman Robert Garcia of California, and he is forcing a vote to expel Santos from Congress. Now, expulsion is quite a high bar. It would require two thirds of the House to come together and maybe have a little bit of moral courage. But we know that's probably not gonna happen. And George Santos should not have access to our country's most guarded secrets. Now, last week, the House voted on legislation regarding unemployment fraud, and he voted for it while standing accused of unemployment fraud. It's a time to restore this body to what it should be, a beacon of democracy, freedom, and truth. Remember, we all filed this group, the resolution, three months ago, even before this last group of charges. Now, with power comes great responsibility, and the representative from New York has clearly no interest in the public good. Yeah, and you've got to ask yourself, do the Republicans have any interest in the public good? Because with 222 of them in the House and 13 of them being Democrats in the House, well, getting that two thirds vote could be impossible. And of course, we know that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy probably doesn't want to give up an inch of his majority. But before we hear from McCarthy on how he feels on this situation, I would love to check in with you, Jessica, because I think that this is something that possibly should have happened quite a while ago. Why do you think the Dems are doing it now? Yeah, it's a great question. I feel the same way about the prosecution of Trump and how Merrick Garland sat on his hands for so long. And then as soon as Trump announced he was running for public office, Garland said, well, now it would be political for us to do something about this. It's always they wait for an, for an opportune moment to, I don't know, fight for justice, to fight up to fight for some kind of values or standards for members who hold public office. George Santos, I don't think is the worst of them. I think he's bad. I think that as a member of the queer community, we've wanted a gay villain in American politics for quite some time and we got it in George Santos. But we can't make light of it, right? He lied about everything, he committed fraud, he lied about his resume. You shouldn't be allowed to run for public office and lie about who you are as a person and expect to keep the seat that you won. And it's much deeper than that. It seems that he's really led a life just riddled with fraud, which is incredible that he's made it this far. And you can look at it and say, this is a funny career arc for an American politician, but it's representative of the degradation of our political system in the United States. I love that he gives a speech where he acts like he's so righteous that this is a an unjust use of our prosecutorial system. It's like, yeah, I agree that we don't have a sound system of, of justice in the United States. I think there's a lot of injustice in our legal system. This is not an example of that injustice. Of course, Santos needs to be prosecuted and investigated. Um, it's It's really, it's comedy. But it's terrifying as well that this is the state of our politics. 
Absolutely, it is quite terrifying. Despite DeSantis's audacity up there, I just can't help but wonder if this man is somehow posturing for maybe an insanity defense because it's kind of <laughs> crazy to me how he has just lied and lied and lied and done so with impunity and also no regard. Like the man may be able to really have some kind of psychiatrist or a psychiatric specialist come on the stand and testify to the fact that there is something super wrong with you. And I'd like to think that Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, has finally gotten the message that we can't necessarily keep Santos around, but also we still need to keep him in terms of numbers. Because in light of the call to force a vote to expel Santos within the next 24 hours, well, Kevin McCarthy couldn't tiptoe around the Santos issue any longer. Look, look, I think. The George Santos indictment is very serious. I also know in America you're innocent to proven guilty. But I don't want to sit around and wait. So what I would like to do is move this to ethics. I think I would like the House to take up this work and look at it. And if it rises to that occasion, then because as we look to all these differences, I mean, we just had a report come out from Durham. What does that say about Adam Schiff? He lied to the American public. Should he be? expelled from Congress as well, taking Congress and America down through the, uh, uh, the path that he did, lying to us. So I think these um, accusations are very serious. I have a very concern about George Santos. So what I do firmly believe is just in the foundation of this country, you got to have a process. Yeah, but I would say Schiff doesn't have an indictment that's 13 counts of like what felonies. Yeah, last I checked, it wasn't there. And it's so interesting because that indictment, while it doesn't have necessarily the heightened burden of proof yet in terms of beyond a reasonable doubt, it seems to have what I would think would be more than whatever an ethics committee would need to bring. But then again, I don't want to push McCarthy to actually do his job or show any kind of integrity. But of course, you know, taking his direction, well, the GOP is now pushing off the vote using a procedural mechanism to bypass the expulsion vote and kick the matter over to that House Ethics Committee. Yeah, so check out this headline here. Yep, they're referring Santos's expulsion to an ethics panel. And I can tell you that Congressman Garcia was none too pleased with the news because he knows that an ethics investigation would only be deferred. The actual vote would be deferred too because of the ongoing federal prosecution of Santos. NBC News has it. Prosecutors are going to ask the ethics committee to pause and let their prosecution go first, he said. That's what I did for 10 years. That is the nature of how these things work. And traditionally, the ethics committee will defer to the Department of Justice for criminal prosecution. And Kevin McCarthy knows that exactly. The ethics department is not going to get in the way of a criminal prosecution. So basically, this is a way to delay, delay, delay. And as we know, it's justice denied, denied, denied. And it's we the people who will suffer. Oh, my God. Um, any closing thoughts, Jessica? Just that there are dudes who still have their seats in Congress who supported the incitement of an insurrection. And they're up in arms, like George Santos lied and committed fraud. It's like, yeah, that's bad. But there are people who still have their seats who did far worse. It's like a very convenient thing to be like, we can't have this, this is so bad. And it's like, you guys just wanna sweep the other stuff under the rug and make it seem like you have some kind of ethical standards by making the Santos thing a big deal. And so I think that's an element here as well.
Absolutely, you know, these people like to put the shine on and pretend that they're saying one thing that is morally righteous when we all know that they lack integrity. And speaking of lacking integrity, let's talk about Lindsey Graham. Yeah, I'm sure as all of you remember with Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election that we had Lindsey Graham acting up and a prominent part of Senator Lindsey Graham's involvement in Georgia. Well, he was pretty much in there. Check out this interview from February of this year. Want to, if we could quickly here, talk about the Georgia grand jury. The grand jury in Georgia investigating allegations that former President Trump tried to overturn the 2020 election. We find by a unanimous vote that no widespread fraud took place in the Georgia 2020 presidential election that could result in overturning that election. You appeared before that grand jury in November and were asked about a call that Georgia Secretary of State said you made to him after the 2020 election. Do you have any regrets about calling the Secretary of State and any concerns about perjury? Uh, no concerns about my testimony. Uh, the grand jury analysis that there was no widespread fraud in Georgia, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree that Lindsey Graham may have some problems on his hands because now he's really trying to seem to weasel his way out of that testimony. Yeah, it seems to be the case. Check this reporting out from Forbes. Senator Lindsey Graham used $350,000 of campaign money to pay Jones Day. The law firm that unsuccessfully tried to get him out of testifying about attempts to overthrow the 2020 election in Fulton County, Georgia. Graham's legal team took his objections all the way to the Supreme Court. Graham also created a legal expense fund that raised $158,000 through February and his PAC donated $1,000 to the fund. Even more, we got a picture of that pay stub. Ooh, it's always money that is a problem. Ah, those legal fees are expensive. Here's more from Forbes. Using the campaign money saved Graham from having to spend his own money. And that appears to be legal. Politicians are allowed to spend donor funds on expenses that directly relate to allegations arising from their campaign or office activities. But federal law prohibits them from using campaign money to cover personal expenses. Now, Tristan Snell is a lawyer in New York. He broke down that this seems like there is definitely something more here. He had said Lindsey Graham misallocated $350,000 of campaign money on apparently personal legal expenses, trying to evade a subpoena to testify before the Fulton County Georgia grand jury on attempting to overthrow the 2020 election. Graham must be investigated ASAP. Why such misallocation is illegal under federal campaign finance laws. A politician can spend campaign money on legal expenses arising from his campaign or Senate work. But the court specifically held that Graham had to testify because of his conduct outside his official work. Indeed, as much as Graham wanted to try to claim that he was doing business when he was talking to those Georgia officials trying to find some extra votes for Trump. Well, it's not the case and that's why he ended up having to testify. So it's interesting that he wanted to, hmm, let's see, basically write off this expense toward his campaign fund so he didn't have to use it from his own personal pocket. Yeah, it sounds like Lindsey Graham may have a few issues with following the rules. Hmm, Jessica. Adrian, I love the sentence you used that Lindsey Graham is acting up. I just picture Lindsey Graham like with sunglasses on, listening to Drake, worst behaviors on. <laughs> That's what I picture when I hear Lindsey Graham's acting up. It's a good mental image. But really, everyone that was in the camp of the election was stolen. There was election fraud, ballots were cast that were fake, all of this stuff that happened immediately after Donald Trump very clearly lost the election in 2020. 
This should have been interrogated then. There are so many people who believed all of the wild claims about election fraud in 2020. And the American memory is very short. If we had put Lindsey Graham and the others under oath, do you know for sure that there was fraud in this election? What evidence do you have of that? Force them to either make the choice to perjure themselves and lie or tell the truth when people are paying attention to it before they get it so ingrained in their brain that yeah, the 2020 election was rigged and stolen from Donald Trump. Because they're going to go on believing this. It's not gonna have the same impact now that Lindsey Graham is saying something to the contrary of what he said in 2020. In fact, the folks that believe there was election fraud are quite conspiratorial and will come up with conspiracies and say, well, they got to Lindsey Graham, the deep state got to Lindsey Graham and the election was definitely rigged. And so there are consequences to the moment Donald Trump leaving office, them not prosecuting this to the fullest extent because people already for good reasons don't have a lot of faith in our election process. We have terrible gerrymandering, we have modern versions of Jim Crow laws. It's very inaccessible for people to get good political information and participate in elections. That is a problem, the problem is not that our electoral process is rigged to support Republicans and Donald Trump. So I feel like this is a little too late, but it's good to see Lindsey Graham squirming about this. And his camp, his use of campaign finances in this case is very damning and he's not the first to do it. Yeah, well, let's just hope that the, you know, GOP controlled sectors will actually do something about this because too often it seems to be the case that members of either party get away with playing with our money. Ah, well, we will never get away with that, but we definitely want you to go ahead and watch more of everything we got. And you can watch Jessica on Rebel HQ and where else can our viewers find you, Jessica? Yeah, on Watchlist every Monday. I'm also on The Hill rising every Friday. And the Funny Money podcast, which comes out every other Friday. So there are many places. Fabulous. I love it, I love it, I love it. And you can always find me on Rebel HQ, which is on Facebook and YouTube too. I am everywhere else under Adrian Lawrence or Adrian Law. Thanks so much for watching. See you later. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.